Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the associate. No, I'm not. I'm the lead pastor. Wow. That was a long time ago. That was only eight years ago that I was the associate pastor. I have no idea why that came out. Oh, well. Anyways, hey, we're having fun today. This is Sunday morning, and I guess I'm a little tired. I don't know. Anyways, we're, we're uh, continuing our study in the book of Hebrews uh, here at Powell Butte Christian Church in uh, beautiful Central Oregon, where we're finally starting to get some rain. Anyway, it's good to have you here along with us, and uh, I'm just going to kind of jump in here. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I, I want to give you quickly a synopsis of the study that we've so far taken uh, undertaken in, in, in Hebrews. What the book of Hebrews is, basically, is a letter written to Hebrew converts to Christianity in the first century. Now, the reason that the letter was written and then sent, it was supposed to be an encouragement for those converts to stick with their newfound faith. You know, persecution had arisen as they had switched camps, so to speak, as they became Christians. Now, persecution was, was kind of heating up, uh, not just from Rome, uh, the, the government that was looking at this fledgling sect of Judaism, but also the old Jewish leaders. They were putting pressure and persecution on these people as well. And so things were getting difficult for these Hebrew Christians. And add to that uh, the fear that maybe they made a mistake and maybe they really needed to follow the law and maybe they couldn't fully trust in the sacrifice of Jesus to make them right with God. And so all of that, they were tempted to walk away. And so the uh, the the, uh, the encouragement from the author of Hebrews, whoever that is, was don't leave. Don't leave because Jesus is greater than all of the old ways. Now, in chapter one, which we looked at for the first couple of weeks, um, we, we saw that Jesus was presented in his deity as, as God, as a, a prophet, priest, and king, the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, the perfect king. The author of the letters is telling the Hebrew believers that they can trust Jesus because he is God. It's okay if, if he gives them a more complete revelation of God. Um, it's okay to follow him because he is God. Now, even though this letter is written to the Hebrew converts to Christianity in the first century, I think that this is a message that we all need to hear, that Jesus is greater than the old ways. Because I think we all get into a, a situation where we wonder, it might Am I doing it right? What, what, what if I'm supposed to be doing all of these things with, and I'm messing up? What, what if Jesus is not sufficient for me? What, what, what if I needed to go to confession? What if I needed to uh, clean up my act? Uh, what if I get to heaven and God says, sorry, you, you didn't make it because you weren't good enough, right? Um, we all struggle with not feeling like we're good enough. Uh, we all struggle with guilt. I, I have a great friend down in the Sacramento area. Um, as I was evangelizing him, he and I were talking about guilt. He goes, oh, oh, <laughs> don't talk to me about guilt, Trey. He said, uh, you know, my dad's Jewish. My mom's Catholic. I know the guilt. I know the guilt. And, and that's the problem. A lot of us know the guilt, right? Even when we put our faith in Jesus, sometimes we're tempted to doubt that maybe he's not enough. Maybe we really do need to follow all of these rules. Uh, <clears throat> It's it's maybe a temptation to wonder if the New Testament is accurate when it tells us that we're saved not by works, but by God's grace. We need to be reminded, just like the Hebrew converts to Christianity, we need to be reminded as well that Jesus is enough. And that's why chapter 2 of Hebrews is so important. Because we're going to be encouraged to fix our faith on 
Jesus so that we don't dangerously drift. That's the focus, right? So I want to read the first few verses of chapter 2 today. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we we begin with, um, and it depends on your translation, either therefore or for this reason, right? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, if you've ever heard lessons about biblical interpretation, then you would know that whenever you get to a therefore in the text, you've got to ask yourself, what is the therefore? Therefore, get it? Well, this statement about paying attention connects chapter 2 with the concepts that we studied in chapter 1. See, in chapter 1, again, Jesus is God, better than the prophets, better than the angels. His message is better than the prophets. It's more complete than the prophets, and it's better than the angels because they serve him. Therefore, pay attention. Pay attention. Now, what's the danger of not paying attention according to the author? He says, pay attention unless we drift away. So the danger is drifting. Not necessarily in rejecting our faith, but in neglecting our faith. Now, I, I want to geek out here. I want to reveal my inner nerd for you just for a couple minutes here. Because in this first passage, these first, in fact, the first verse, we have not one but two nautical terms. Okay, At least they were terms that were used uh, in, in nautical ways as well as other ways as well. So I, I want to show you the two words as they appear in the classic Greek text. The first one is prosecho. Pros echo. Um, now, in the Koine Greek, it simply means to hold firm to uh, or to concern yourself about something. So pay attention, take heed, pros echo, right? But in the classic Greek, I, I love this. It, it does mean that, but it also indicates steering a ship in an intentional manner towards something. Now, that word is there in the English translation, we must pay attention. But if you use that classical Greek understanding, the author is saying, as you pay attention, hey, you're steering a ship. Your life is this ship. Your faith, your, your journey of faith is this ship. Be intentional about where you're steering that ship. Make sure that you're steering it in the proper direction. So that's pros echo. The second one is parareo. Parareo. Now, this term has to do with the idea of a ship that has slipped away from the safety of the harbor because it wasn't tied up properly. Okay? It wasn't holding firm. It didn't have its anchor down. So it slipped its moorings and it's now silently drifting away. Now, drifting, by definition, tends to be slow, silent, subtle. When you drift from something, it almost happens without you even noticing it. Like, like if you've ever gone to the coast... If you've ever been out in the ocean, I used to do this all the time down in Santa Cruz, California, where the, the water is actually warm enough to get in, right? You set up your umbrella and your cooler and your towel and your chair up on the beach, right? Then you have the, the guts to actually get into the water. Uh, you, you get numb. 
getting them so you could actually enjoy being out there in the waves. And you're out there for a while, but then you look up and someone has stolen all your stuff. It's not where you put it. Well, not really. Your stuff is still exactly where you put it. It hasn't moved. You have. And you didn't even notice that you had moved. The tide has carried you away. You have pereroed. You have drifted. And it happened oh so gradually. And that's the dangerous word, gradually. Now, I came across this quote that I want to share with you this morning. It's about a famous man who had studied to be an Anglican priest. He was very orthodox in his faith. But listen to his own words. Whilst on board the ship, I was quite orthodox. I remember being heartily laughed at for quoting the Bible as an unanswerable authority on some point of morality. But I had gradually come by this time to see that the Old Testament was no more to be trusted than the sacred books of the Hindus. Signed, Charles Darwin. Yes, the Charles Darwin. He had actually studied to be a priest. He'd studied for the ministry. But there on his scientific treks on board the SS Beagle, he admits that he gradually came by this time to see the Old Testament, God's word, as unreliable. Gradually, he drifted. And now, we don't see him as a believer at all. It's unfortunate, but throughout history, there have been many believers who have drifted. They have drifted towards compromise, and they've called it tolerance. They've drifted towards disobedience, and they've called it freedom. They've drifted towards the world's philosophies, and they, they call them, oh, just another way to get to God. How does one drift? Isn't it when we're not paying attention? Isn't it when, if we were to be honest, we were just kind of going with the flow? Isn't it when we've become lazy and undisciplined and apathetic? Yeah, guys, I personally did not wake up one day 50 pounds heavier. Okay, That didn't happen overnight. You have to ask yourself, is the author of Hebrews here speaking of drifting into heresy? Is that really the danger? I mean, again, are you going to switch your allegiances overnight? Probably not. I think he's more speaking of the, the, the drift into a gradual, half-hearted faith. Right? Like, oh, you still believe in God, but he's not as important to you. Now you're just living this kind of lukewarm existence where, yeah, yeah, I've got faith, but it's not really useful to my life. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'll come to church when I don't have anything else really going on. But I, I really have got my life over here. And as long as it doesn't interfere, I'll, I'll have faith with that. How do we drift? There's a couple reasons that we drift. First of all, I think that we drift when we lose resistance to a driving force. Okay, Something's coming at us, and we stop resisting it. Our culture has become this driving force in our life, right? You know, it used to be just even a couple generations ago that even Americans who did not consider themselves Christians, they still attempted to live by a moral code. Not, not totally Christian standards, but close. Now what do we have? <laughs> a culture that has completely gone off the deep end. The way people view sexuality and marriage, the, the, the way the media has immersed us with the glorification of violence, the way we've lowered the standard of honest wages for honest work. <laughs> These are 
These are those cultural waves, the forces, the driving forces that just buffet us, right? And have taken so many believers so far from a fixed standard of God's word. We, we stopped pushing back against the culture and we just let it flow over us. Listen to what Paul says about building up of the body of Jesus, the, the, the church. He says in Ephesians 4.14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Okay? I, I remember being a little kid going down to the ocean and bam, those waves would just knock me over. A little, little later on, I was able to stand firm against some of them. But man, he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men. See, God's desire is that we as his people are built up in his word. He says, that's why I gave you apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers so that you would know my word so that you could build up a resistance to the driving forces of, of our culture. So, so that's the first time. First thing is we, we lose resistance to that driving force. Second of all, we lose sight of a fixed reference point, like my beach umbrella and my cooler. I, I totally take my eyes off of that, and then I get pushed by the driving force, and then I realize, well, where, 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 am, I, where am I going? A number of years ago, my, my late wife, Peg, and the girls and I headed out to Iowa to a family reunion. Her dad's sister, her aunt, actually had a summer home there in Clear Lake, Iowa, right across the street, by the way, from where Buddy Holly had played his last concert before he died. Hmm. Now, that was exciting to me because I loved Buddy Holly. I was a fan. Now, if you know the story of Buddy Holly's death, it was a tragedy involving a small uh, bonanza plane that flew in the February winter out of a small municipal airport out of Mason City, Iowa, just next to Clear Lake. On that small plane was also Richie Valens, you know, La Bamba, and uh, J.P. Richardson, the big bopper. Hello, baby. You know, if you know those songs. Two rising stars in the new rock and roll world. So all three of them were, were, were the rising stars. The, the plane could only hold the pilot and three passengers. So the rest of their band members had to take a very, very cold bus ride because the, the heater in the bus had busted. Waylon Jennings, by the way, Famously, Waylon Jennings was in the band. He lost a bet. He couldn't get on the plane. He, he was forced to take that band bus, again, with that worn-down heater. And so he missed being on the plane on that fateful night. Yeah. Anyway, it was shortly after takeoff when Hubert Dwyer, who was the owner of the flying service that, the, uh, that Buddy Holly and the, the other singers had used, he, he was watching the aircraft's taillight for most of the brief flight. It started with an initial left turn to pass east of the airport and climbed about 800 feet at a speed of about 170 miles an hour. And after an additional left turn northwest, the taillight was observed gradually, there's that word again, gradually descending until it disappeared into a cornfield. And that was the end of four people's lives. The official investigation showed that the, the pilot had over four years of flying experience, had accumulated 711 flying hours. He had also logged 52 hours of instrument flight training, but was only certified to operate under visual flight uh, rules, which essentially requires that the pilot must be able to see where he's going. Okay, But on the night of the accident, he couldn't see. Visual flight would have been virtually impossible. 
Low clouds, lack of the visible horizon, the absence of ground lights over the sparsely populated area. In other words, he had no reference point, none whatsoever. Additionally, he had only been trained in a particular kind of instrument panel using a particular kind of altitude gyroscope. And unfortunately, the plane that he was flying had a completely different kind of instrument panel. Okay, It, it displayed altitude information in the exact opposite way than he had been trained in. So the result, watch this, watch this. What was the result? Without having a fixed reference point, he was misled into thinking that down was up and up was down. And tragically, four men lost their lives early on that morning of February 3rd, 1959. Can you see the danger of losing a fixed reference point when it comes to your faith? When all of a sudden you start to believe that down is up and up is down, that right is wrong, that wrong is right. Later on in this letter, in chapter 6, the author will tell us that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. Going back to the drift, the dangerous drift, make sure that you're steering it intentionally where you're supposed to go and don't let it slip away from the harbor. Set your course, stick to it. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, he'll tell us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, he'll tell us. It's so easy to turn it all around. Especially when we get so many, so much other information thrown at us. Information that, like Buddy Holly's plane, turns everything upside down from the truth. Do you realize how much garbage gets put into our minds anymore? Did you know that in this information age, this is crazy. In just one edition of the newspaper, if you get the newspaper, let's say you, you, you subscribe to the uh, Ben Bulletin, okay? In just one edition of the Ben Bulletin, we get exposed to more information than Thomas Jefferson would have been exposed to in his lifetime. In one edition. Isn't that crazy? What we see constantly in our culture works to shift how we think. So we neglect to filter out the, the, the bad information. Maybe we just let it all kind of come in. We forget to take every thought captive to Christ. So we begin then to listen to the culture. And then it starts to make sense perversely. Oh, well, yeah, that, I guess that does make I guess that does make sense that maybe Israel was at fault in this whole Israeli-Palestinian uh, war. <laughs> maybe we should start to look at Israel as being the bad guys. Are you kidding me? Seriously? We begin to then trust the culture. We begin to rely on our emotions way more than setting our thoughts and eyes on the truth of Jesus and what God has told us in his word. So the author has to give this encouragement to these Hebrew converts who are wondering, should I walk away from this? He says, hold firm, because to drift away means there are consequences. There are consequences. Now, obviously, breaking God's law given to Moses meant consequences. This was, by the way, what I just read, where he says, if the message spoken by angels was binding, well, the, there was a Jewish faction that believed that God did not directly give Moses the law, but that he used angels as kind of the go-between. He gave it to the angels, they gave it to Moses. So the message spoken by angels is actually the law. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. It's, okay, so the law was given. And you know that if you broke the law, whether by um, being careless, that's what violations meant, or by being willful, and that's what disobedience means. You know, there's violations and disobediences. He goes, either way, 
whether you were just careless about it or whether you willfully disobeyed, there were punishments. There were consequences, right? So, how much, if that was the law and there were consequences for not heeding the law, how much more are, are you going to get in trouble when you neglect the message of the Son, you know, the Son of God, the one that brings this great salvation that actually can save you from your sins? And, um, by the way, just in case you claim ignorance, well, we, we didn't know he was the Son of God. We didn't know that his message was the complete revelation from God. The author points out, hey, God validates the message through miracles and signs and wonders and builds his church and gives the gifts of the Holy Spirit to his church. Are you kidding me? There is no excuse. We can't allow ourselves to drift, period. You know, the Olympics are coming up next year. I love the Olympics. I love watching the Olympics. I love the competition, but I really like the drama that seems to always accompany the competition. Back in 2016, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, when Rio hosted the games, there was some drama in the women's 5,000 meter event. As the runners were bunched up in turn, in the turn, there was a New Zealand gal named Mickey Hamlin. She lost her balance and she fell to the track. American runner Abby Diagostino also tripped and fell onto the track and she injured her knee. Now, Hamlin, the, the New Zealander, was devastated and momentarily thought about quitting. But she felt a hand on her shoulder. It was Abby Diagostino saying, get up, get up. We have to finish the race. And Mickey says, yeah, that's right. I guess this is the Olympics. We, we got to finish. So she got up. And as they both got up to finish, that's when Diagostino's knee then gave out again. And now it was Hamlin's turn to give her encouragement. She pulled Diagostino back up, and then leaning on each other, they limped their way to the finish line. Not as med medalists, right? But finishers. 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 So here's the point. You and I are involved in a race. It's the race of our faith. None of us have finished it. Okay? And it takes discipline, which I believe comes from keeping in step with the Spirit of God, by the way. It takes discipline to stay focused and keep our eyes on the prize, as Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So I want you to run in such a way that you could win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So they do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not to run aimlessly. I box in such a way as to avoid hitting the air but I strictly discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I myself will not stumble. I myself will not drift away. The pages of the Bible are full of great servants who did not finish well. I think of King Saul. I think of Samson. I think of King Hezekiah even. Men who were used by God in great ways, who all started off on the right track but somehow they lost sight of the goal. They did not buffet their bodies to bring it under submission to the authority of God. They drifted. And sometimes it takes a fellow runner in this race to stop as you fall, to then help you back up and limp along with you until you find your strength once again. I, I've talked about this before, but this is one of those incredible opportunities afforded to Christians through small group ministries. And if you're not involved in a small group, whether it be an accountability group or just a one-on-one, -on -one, or if it's a, a midweek group, or maybe it's a community group on a Sunday morning, if you're not involved in that, 
then when you fall, when you drift, who's going to help you get back? So let's resist the driving forces of our culture that want to push us off course. Let's stand for something. Let's stand against what our culture is saying. This is right. No, it's not. No, it's not. Let's make sure that we've tied ourselves securely to our harbor. And in doing so, I think that we then can finish the race by hearing the words, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. And that would be it, guys. Um, thanks for listening in. Thank you, uh, Lisa Welly, for being my executive producer, making these podcasts sound really, really good. Thank you, Steve uh, Pittman, for being our tech guru here at the church. Um, I also want to thank Ron Becker. Uh, Ron is a guy who, whenever I preach, he's praying for me. And and since he's been doing that, uh, it seems like uh, God has been very effective in, in sending this message out to people who are, are listening on a weekend. So anyways, lots of people to thank. I want to thank you for tuning in as well. Um, hopefully this week you can shine for Jesus and we will talk with you next week as well.